Greetings, beloved being of light, and welcome to this next topic of our spiritual awakening journey. This is probably the most popular topic of spirituality, so I'm excited to discuss it with all, all of you today. So, what if I told you the world is, is simply a reflection of your thoughts and beliefs? What if your external reality is simply a mirror of your internal reality? Well, it's true, baby. This is how life works, and it's beautiful. In this topic, we will discuss how you create your reality, including some scientific experiments to prove it all. And then we will discuss the techniques to use this to your advantage to create a beautiful life for yourself. So we've already discussed how everything is one, uh, and this actually includes your external reality and internal reality. You are one with the universe. Your reality reflects your thoughts. Everything around you is you. So you can think of it as you are a walking projector, projecting a 3D holographic reality outside of you, and you project your internal thoughts and emotions onto these holograms. It is then the ego that convinces you that these holograms are real, and it is they that are causing you to have these thoughts and emotions. Effect and cause are first split off and then reversed, so that effect becomes a cause, the cause, effect. But the truth is, all is coming from within you. One must, one must look within themselves rather than outside of them for truth. A miracle is simply what returns the cause of fear to you who made it. You can think of it as if you are living in a hall of mirrors, with each mirror having a different filter, making it look like you are surrounded by different people and things. But at the end of the day, it is all just reflecting you back at you. Believing the illusion of separation between you and your reality leads to great suffering in this world. If something is, is causing you to have low vibrational emotions, you must look within to realize why. Reflections are seen in light, but darkness makes them obscure. So let your inner light shine upon your reality, and do not let your ego be the dark clouds that block this light from letting you see the truth. When a challenge arises in your reality, you can either listen to your true self and discover what internal thoughts are being reflected to you so that you can deal with them, or you can listen to the ego and think that you're a victim and unlucky and that these things aren't caused by you in any way. Ultimately, one view leads to happiness and the other leads to suffering. What better system can there be to get you to realize you are one with your surroundings? In the last topic, we discussed how you are constantly sending out vibrations from within you based on your thoughts and emotions. We also discussed how you are a being of electromagnetic light energy. It is your thoughts that send out the energy from within you, and then it is the emotions triggered by these thoughts that attract this energy back to you like a magnet. So if you're consistently having high vibrational thoughts of love, peace, joy, and oneness, then you will attract a reality that reflects these frequencies. If you choose to consistently have low vibrational thoughts of fear, anger, jealousy, stress, separation, then you will attract a reality reflecting those emotions back to you. In the book of Galatians in the Bible, it says, For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. This is telling us that the energy and frequency that we send out will be given back to us. Let's look at the science proving this phenomenon. Quantum physics has showed that the Newtonian model of an atom that we all learned in school is wrong. The electron or electrons 
don't orbit the nucleus in a specific known orbit. Instead, there is a cloud or field of possibilities around the nucleus. The electron is at every spot in that cloud at the same time. Each spot represents a possibility of where the electron may be at any given moment. The electrons that move around in the vast field behave in a completely unpredictable manner. They're here one moment and then gone the next, and it's impossible to predict where and when the electrons will appear. Therefore, an electron behaves as a wave of possibility. Waves carry incredible amounts of information. However, as we have noted in a previous topic, an electron has a dual property where it can behave either as energy or as a particle of matter. So what is it that makes electrons behave as a particle? Well, quantum scientists found out through the famous double slit experiment that we, as observers, affect how particles behave. Here is a nice demonstration of the experiment. And here we are, the granddaddy of all quantum weirdness, the infamous double slit experiment. To understand this experiment, we first need to see how particles, or little balls of matter, act. If we randomly shoot a small object, say a marble, at the screen, we see a pattern on the back wall where they went through the slit and hit. Now, if we add a second slit, we would expect to see a second band duplicated to the right. Now, let's look at waves. The waves hit the slit and radiate out striking the back wall with the most intensity directly in line with the slit. The line of brightness on the back screen shows that intensity. This is similar to the line the marbles make. But when we add the second slit, something different happens. If the top of one wave meets the bottom of another wave, they cancel each other out. So now, there is an interference pattern on the back wall. Places where the two tops meet are the highest intensity, the bright lines, and where they cancel, there is nothing. So, when we throw things, that is, matter, through two slits, we get this, two bands of hits. And with waves, we get an interference pattern of many bands. Good so far. Now, let's go quantum. <laughs> An electron is a tiny, tiny bit of matter. Like a tiny marble. Let's fire a stream through one slit. It behaves just like the marble, a single band. So, if we shoot these tiny bits through two slits, we should get, like the marbles, two bands. What? An interference pattern. We fired electrons, tiny bits of matter through. But we get a pattern like waves, not like little marbles. How? How could pieces of matter create an interference pattern like a wave? It doesn't make sense, but physicists are clever. They thought, maybe those little balls are bouncing off each other and creating that pattern. So, 
they decide to shoot electrons through one at a time. There is no way they could interfere with each other. But after an hour of this, the same interference pattern is seen to emerge. The conclusion is inescapable. The single electron leaves as a particle, becomes a wave of potentials, goes through both slits, and interferes with itself to hit the wall like a particle. But mathematically, it's even stranger. It goes through both slits and it goes through neither. And it goes through just one and it goes through just the other. All of these possibilities are in superposition with each other. But physicists were completely baffled by this. So they decided to peek and see which slit it actually goes through. They put a measuring device by one slit to see which one it went through and let it fly. <laughs> but the quantum world is far more mysterious than they could have imagined. When they observed, the electron went back to behaving like a little marble. It produced a pattern of two bands, not an interference pattern of many. The very act of measuring or observing which slit it went through meant it only went through one, not both. The electron decided to act differently, as though it was aware it was being watched. And it was here that physicists stepped forever into the strange never world of quantum events. What is matter? Marbles or waves? And waves of what? And what does an observer have to do with any of this? The observer collapsed the wave function simply by observing. So in brief, the double slit experiment works like this. If an electron or a photon is fired through a single slit, it will appear as a dot on a film. So you could think of it as a bullet going through a narrow doorway and leaving a, ho uh, a hole on the far wall. However, if you have two slits, the particle does something strange and somehow forms a wave pattern instead of a dot. If the path for the electron is knowable, they respond as particles. When we don't know the path, they respond as waves. When there were two slits, scientists didn't know which slit each electron would go through, and so it behaved as a wave. So the scientists then decided to take a close look to check which slit each electron went through. However, when they were observing the electron, it started, behave, it started to behave as a particle again. This proved that consciousness and matter were linked. It is only when an observer focuses his attention and looks for some thing, material, that the invis invisible field of energy and information collapses into a particle we know as the electron. That is called collapsing the wave function. But as soon as the observers look, look away, no longer observing the electron and taking his or her mind off the subatomic matter, it disappears back into energy. In other words, the particle of physical matter, the electron, can't exist until we observe it, until we give it our attention. And the moment we're no, no longer putting our attention on it, on it, it turns back into energy specifically an energetic frequency, which scientists call a wave, and into possibility. In this way, mind and matter are related in the quantum. 
The human observer constitutes the final link in the chain of observational processes and the pro properties of any atomic object can only be understood in terms of the object's interaction with the observer. This means that the partition between the I and the world, between the observer and the observed, cannot be made when dealing with atomic matter. In atomic physics, we can never speak about nature without at the same time speaking about ourselves. What's more, the Institute of Noetics Studies repeated this experiment over the internet with many different participants from all over the world to study the role of distance on the results of the experiment. They tested how the particle in the lab behaved when people from different parts of the world were observing it from their computers. They found that the effects were the same regardless of the distance. This proved that we even affect matter that is far away from us. The observer effect also shows up in entangled particles. In a study using two entangled photons, each had a possible position of being either horizontal or vertical. Left to their own devices in their own little universe, the two photons remained in an indeterminate state. But when an observer intrudes on this closed system by observing one photon, the possibility wave collapses into a probability and the photon becomes either horizontal or vertical. Its entangled partner then responds by taking up the opposite position. In the realm of possibility, says quantum physicist Amit Goswami, the electron is not separate from us, from consciousness. It is a possibility of consciousness itself, a material possibility. When consciousness collapses the possibility wave by choosing one of the electron's possible facets, that facet becomes actuality. So the mind, rather than impartially witnessing objective phenomena, is itself influencing which of the infinity of potentials winks into existence as a phenomenon. Goswami continues by saying, the agency that transforms possibility into actuality is consciousness. It is a fact that whenever we observe an object, we see a unique actuality, not the entire spectrum of possibilities. Thus, conscious observation is sufficient condition for the collapse of the possibility wave. In the intention experiment, her book her book about large international experiments that gauge the effect of human intention on physical matter, Lynn McTaggart states that the observer effect implies that living consciousness is somehow central to this process of transforming the unconstructed quantum world into something resembling everyday reality, and that reality is not fixed but fluid, and hence possibly open to influence. According to Bill Bengston, this suggests that human consciousness, individually and collectively, produces what we call reality. We don't even need to open our eyes for the observer effect to take place. Dean Radin at the Institute of Noetic Sciences set up a double-sit experiment in a room shielded from electromagnetic signals and physical vibrations. Meditators and non-meditators imagined that they put their mind inside the box and were watching the photons go through the slits. The result was that the meditators were able to cause a significant shift from the expected wave pattern and many particles were observed when there should only have been waves. It also happens that experienced meditators were better able to cause the shift than the non-meditators, which speaks to the considerable power of the mind that can be developed through meditation. 
Humans did 5,000 sessions, and a computer functioning as a control recorded another 7,000 sessions. The sessions held by the computer had no effect whatsoever, but the meditators were causing a significant collapse of the wave pattern through mind, pa through mind power. So what these experiments prove is that A. Consciousness affects matter by shaping which of its infinite possibilities is manifested. B. Distance has no impact on this effect of consciousness on matter. And C. It is not just the act of seeing that shapes matter, but the focus and participation of the mind. The idea of participation instead of observation has been formulated in modern physics only recently, but it is an idea which was well known to any student of mysticism. Mystical knowledge can never be obtained just by observation, but only by full participation with one's whole being. The notion of the participator is therefore crucial to the Eastern worldview, and the Eastern mystics have pushed this notion to the extreme, to a point where observer and observed, subject and object, are not only inseparable, but also become indistinguishable. In deep meditation, they arrive at a point where the distinction between the observer and observed completely breaks down, where subject and object fuse into unified, undifferentiated whole. The Eastern mystics tell us again and again that all things and events we perceive are creations of the mind, arising from a particular state of consciousness and dissolving again if this state is transcended. Hinduism holds that all shapes and structures around us are created by mind under the spell of Maya. New Ages say the same thing, as they believe that the self is the originator, controller and power overall. There is no reality outside of what the person determines. So from the experiments just discussed, as well as the experiments discussed in the last topic, we are seeing that consciousness affects matter. But how can we actually use this in our favour to change our reality? Well, numerous studies have shown that it is our thoughts that affect reality, specifically our beliefs, expectations and intentions. One experiment that was conducted to test the power of intention was done by a French scientist called René Pioc, who studied, who demonstrated this with newly hatched baby chicks. This is a really nice ex experiment that he did, so um, I'm looking forward to telling you guys about it. So what he did was when chicks hatch, they usually imprint on their mother, bonding with her and following her around. But if the mother isn't there, when the chicks hatch, they'll imprint on the first moving object they encounter. So if a chick first sees a human, it will follow the human around in the same way, which I think is adorable. For his study, Piok built a special type of random event generator, which is a computerized robot that would turn randomly as it moved around an arena, going right 50% of the time and then going left 50% of the time. As a control, he first reco recorded the robot's path in the arena with no chicks present. He found that over time, the robot covered most of the arena equally. Next, Piok exposed newly hatched chicks to the robot. As expected, they imprinted on the robot as if it was their mother and followed it all over the arena. After the chicks had imprinted on the robot, he removed them from the arena and put them in a cage on one side, where they could see the robot but not move towards it. What happened next was astonishing. The intention of the baby chicks to be near to what they believed to be their mother, which in this case was the robot, actually influenced the random movements of the robot. 
It no longer moved all over the arena, but instead remained in the half of the arena closer to the chicks. Piok carried out a similar study with baby rabbits. He placed a bright light on the movable random event generator that the baby rabbits found repulsive. When the data from the experiment was analysed, it appeared that the rabbits were successfully willing the machine to stay away from them. So if the intentions of baby chicks and rabbits can influence the movements of a computerised robot, just imagine what you can do in drawing your future to you. Dr Tiller is a professor emeritus in material science and engineering at Stanford University, who has studied mind of a matter phenomena. His experiments have repeatedly shown that the power of the human mind can have a direct impact on physical matter. Working with experienced meditators who were, as he described them, highly inner self-directed people, Tiller asked them to focus on imprinting specific intentions on electrical devices. For example, in one mind over matter experiment conducted by Tiller, a group of individuals put their awareness on an electrical circuit which contained a crystal. They then implanted an intent that the pH of water would either go up or go down. The circuits were wrapped in aluminium foil and shipped overnight to a lab across the country. They were turned on and set beside a water sample. The room was isolated so that people did not enter and all environmental factors of the room were carefully monitored. Despite these precautions, the water samples did respond exactly to the mind power as the meditators intended. pH rose or fell according to the intentions of full 1.5 pH. The odds against this happening by chance are a million to one. Dr. Tiller also discovered that over time, his experiments affected the room where the experiment was conducted, demonstrating even further the power of, of mind over matter. The object was imparting its qualities to the room so that water placed in the room after the electrical device was actually removed still affected its pH. He asserts that intention can change space, so rooms may become conditioned. Another of Tiller's mind of matter experiments successfully demonstrated that intention caused fruit flies to grow 15% faster than normal. He explains that consciousness and matter are not limited by distance or time. Lynn McTaggart, an American journalist, author and publisher, conducted experiments with thousands of people from 80 countries. As many as 10,000 people were involved in a single intention experiment based around the concept of mind over matter. She started with the idea of showing that human intention affected matter. The first target was to be a leaf, and there was another leaf as a control. The intention of the experiment was to see if people could cause the leaf to glow. The group chose which leaf to work on with, a fl with the flip of a coin. All living things emit photons, and with a sensitive enough camera, you can actually see any living matter glow as it emits biophotons. This is similar to what we discussed in the last topic. Dr. Gary Schwartz from the University of Arizona ran this experiment. The result was that the leaf that received people's intention glowed far brighter than the leaf that did not receive intention. This mind of a matter test was successfully repeated many times. Another experiment was to see if intention could make a plant grow faster. 
a large number of people in Australia sent energy to seeds. The charged seeds did in growth, did indeed grow faster. In yet another test of mind power, there was one experimental group and three control groups of plants. All four sets were planted. They found that the seeds that had the intention had sprouted soonest and grew fastest. In one of these experiments, the seeds even grew twice as tall as the controls. This has been repeated in many large groups around the world, all demonstrating the possibility of mind over matter. An experiment that was designed to test how negative beliefs can affect your reality was conducted by Helmut Schmidt. Schmidt designed a simple machine that was based on a binary system, so a system with two choices, yes or no, on or off, one or zero. In this case, it would give heads or tails. Left to its own devices, it would, not, it would show heads 50% of the time and tails 50% of the time. Schmidt gathered participants participants and created an experimental atmosphere that might encourage failure. His participants were asked to conduct their test in a small dark closet where they'd be huddled with the display panel. Schmidt avoided the, giving them the slightest bit of encouragement. He even told them to expect that they were going to fail. Not surprisingly, the team had a significantly negative effect on the random number generator. Their results were 49.1% in the direction of their intention. In statistical terms, this was a result of major significance, 1,000 to 1 that the result had occurred by chance. But what about positive beliefs? Researchers at New York University found that romance-minded students who believed they would get a date were significantly more likely to do so. Golfers who were told that they were playing with the lucky ball scored better during putting practice. In games of chance, optimists win more prizes than pessimists. People who see a silver lining around dark clouds, using their minds to positively reframe negative events, deactivate the amygdala, which is the midbrain structure that processes fear. According to psychologist Richard Wiseman, these people expect the best outcomes and these expectations become self-fulfilling prophecies. In an influential 1963 animal trial at Harvard University, researchers tested the expectancy effect, which is, if you expect something to happen, you're more likely to perceive it happening. Professor Robert Rosenthal gave students two groups of lab rats. He told them that one group had been specially bred to be good at running mazes, he called them maze bright, the others had been bred to be maize dull. In reality, the rats had been randomly allocated between the two groups. The students conducted their tests and duly found the maize bright rats to outperform the others. Rosenthal then performed a similar experiment with teachers. He told them that tests showed that certain of their students were entering a year of academic flourishing. In reality, these students had also been selected at random. At the end of the year, the IQ scores of the designated students were higher than the control group. Mind had produced matter, with belief making significant changes in performance in the material world. So, changing your beliefs about the world, your life and yourself, as well as being positive, isn't just some idealistic philosophy. It has been scientifically proven to actually make a difference to your reality. Your thoughts and beliefs also have a direct impact on your health as well, 
but we'll discuss this in a later topic called Diet, Health and Spirituality. The Cleveland Clinic's wellness program has found that 80% of the thoughts we have in a day are negative. No wonder many of us are experiencing a negative life. I challenge you, after finishing this topic, to note down what negative beliefs you have. Write them all down as a list. If you're experiencing a challenge right now, think hard about what, possi what possible beliefs you may have that is causing this. For instance, if you're in a job you, you hate, what beliefs are stopping you from being in a job you love? Perhaps you believe that you will not have enough money and be able to pay the bills if you go for a job you love. Perhaps you believe that there is no job out there that you will love. I was always told by so many people that no one loves what they do. You, you just have to find work and do it. This is an ingrained belief that has stopped these very same people from doing what they really want to do in life. Perhaps you believe you don't deserve a better job. Again, life is simply a mirror to your own thoughts. Once you discover the negative beliefs that are holding you back, you are able to start changing these beliefs. And once you realise that all possibilities exist, you are able to actually create your own reality. Sufism is a branch of Islam which believes that the heart is the inner state of ourselves and is also a hologram of all. Therefore, whatever thought or judgment, blessing or curse, good or bad, we hold in our hearts has an effect both on us and the other, whatever the other may be, animate or inanimate. They believe that everything that we experience as a problem is within ourselves. Consequently, the solution to the problem is also within ourselves. We can heal, we can forgive, we can bless, we can create abundance. All of this is possible through the positive action of polishing, purifying, clearing and cleaning what is within us. So as we have discussed, there is infinite possibilities in the world because each electron of each atom has a huge range of possibilities, with all these possibilities occurring simultaneously. However, when we choose to focus on a materiality based on our current negative beliefs, we only experience one of these possibilities. There are many prominent physicists who believe there is an infinite number of parallel, parallel universes and realities that are occurring simultaneously, with each one being different manifestations of possibilities. This seems to match the new quantum physics evidence about electrons. So if there are many different realities, and we get to choose what reality we experience based on what we focus on, then that means if we focus our energy on something different, we will get a different reality. Everything in the future already exists at some level in the realm of pure potential, and that in seeing into the future, we are helping to shape it and bring it into being, just as we do with a quantum entity in the present with the act of observation. Our future already exists in the some nebulous state that we may begin to actualize it in the present. This makes sense if we consider that all subatomic particles exist in a state of all potential unless observed, which would include being thought about. Pure energy, as it exists at the quantum level, does not have time or space, but acts as a vast continuum of fluctuating charge. We, in a sense, are time and space. When we bring energy into conscious awareness through the act of perception, we create separate objects that exist in space through a measured continuum. By creating time and space, we create our own separateness. So what this means for you is this. If you're viewing life from the same level of mind every single day, 
anticipating a future based on your past, you are collapsing infinite fields of energy into the same patterns of information called your life. Imagine what would happen instead if you are able to take your attention off the physical world and the environment. When you take your attention off your body, you become no body and you no longer have any access to or use for the senses. When you take your attention off the people in your life, you become no one, and so you no longer have an identity as a parent, partner, sibling, friend, or member of a profession, religious group, political party, or nationality. You have no race, no gender, no sexual orientation or age. When you take your attention off objects and places in the physical environment, you are in no thing and nowhere. Finally, if you take your attention off linear time, which has a past and a future, you are in no time. You are in the present moment in which all possibilities in the quantum field exist. Because you are no longer identifying with, because you are no longer identifying with or connected to the physical world, you are no longer trying to affect matter with matter. You are beyond matter and beyond how you identify yourself as a body in space and time. In a very real sense, you are in the immense blackness of the unified field where nothing material exists. The moment that happens, you unfold your attention and energy into an unknown field beyond matter where all possibilities exist. A field made up of nothing but invisible frequencies carrying information or consciousness. And just like the quantum scientists who took their attention off the electron only to find that it reverted to energy and possibility, if you were to take your attention off your life or get beyond the memory of your life, your life should turn into a possibility. After all, if you focus on the known, you get the known. If you focus on the unknown, you create a possibility. The longer you can linger in that field of infinite possibilities and as an awareness without putting your attention on your body, on things, people, places and time, the longer you invest your energy into the unknown, the more you are going to create a new experience or new possibilities in your life. So to manifest the change in your life, you must first focus on the field of possibility by taking all focus off material reality. And then you must focus on the alternative reality that already exists now, where the thing you want to manifest is already happening. So through force of will, you must affirm that the goal has already been accomplished. This means placing the goal in the future with your imagination and then letting present time events catch up to that future goal. To test this, the Institute of Noetic Sciences conducted experiments with a computer simulated baseball pitch, which is just a throw, done by a computer. It was designed in such a way that the ball never lands exactly at the center line. It will end up either a little to the left or a little to the right. Before getting any subjects, they tested the simulation and it turned out 50-50 chances of going either left or right, and so the computer generated random results. However, they then gathered participants to use their intention to make the ball curve more in one direction. But the participants didn't actually know about the ball pitch. They were told to focus on the intention of hearing a particular famous phrase from the computer. The phrase would only be heard if the ball swerved in the direction of the experiment was designed to, to test. So say the experiment was to test if the ball would swerve to the right more with the intention. They would set the computer to play the particular famous phrase whenever the ball swerved to the right and would make the sound of a click if the ball swerved to the left. The participant would then focus with the intention to hear the famous phrase as many times as possible.
They conducted the experiment many different times with many different participants, testing out both directions. They found that the average results were that the ball swerved in the direction of the intention of the participants 56% of the time. This may not seem a very significant rise, but the probability of this happening by chance was a thousand to one. The experiment showed that focusing on a particular future can influence the present to match that future. So how do we create? The law of one teaches us that we are all co-creators of the universe. However, creation only occurs in the fifth dimension. You cannot create when you have low vibrational emotions because you are still focusing on a material 3D or even 4D world based on separation. Here is a step-by-step -step guide on how to create from the fifth dimension. Step one, enter the fifth dimension. The fifth dimension is a dimension where there is only one time, the present moment. There is no past and no future. The fifth dimension is also the dimension beyond material reality, where you can tap into all possibilities. So to enter the state of the fifth dimension, one must silence the mind, be completely in the present moment, and direct the focus from the material reality to the zero-point field of possibilities. The best way to do this is through meditation. In this state, you feel at one with all time, all things, all beings, and all possibilities. In the fifth dimension, you have realized that you have everything you need right here, right now, and so you do not lack anything. You can simply focus your energy on what you want. How can there be any lack in this state? Step two, brain coherence. When you have aligned with the field of possibilities, you must then solely focus on the reality that you want. But remember, visualize as if you, as if you are already in that reality now. Some of you may know that a laser is set up so that all the light rays from it are parallel to each other rather than going off in random directions. This characteristic is called coherence and it makes lasers extraordinarily powerful. Light from a 60 watt incandescent light bulb can faintly illuminate objects two to four meters away. It converts only about 10% of its energy into light and that light is not coherent. Organize the same 60 watts of light into a coherent laser, however, and it can cut through steel. Some of you may remember those ordinary handheld laser pointers, um, the same ones that they use in lectures. Uh, they have a tiny power source of just five thousandths of a watt, but they can illuminate a point 12 miles or 20 kilometers away. Mental coherence or brain coherence is similar. When our brain waves are coherent, the quality of thought they produce is focused and efficient. So by ensuring that we focus on nothing but the particular reality that we want, our brain waves become coherent, sending a strong intention to the universal field. Step three, use the heart. Even though the brain has an electromagnetic field around it, by far the strongest electromagnetic field in the body comes from the heart. The heart's electromagnetic field is 5,000 times more powerful than what the brain produces. Specific thoughts and intentions are generated by the mind and are used to frequency modulate the coherent biofields from the heart. Researchers at the HeartMath Institute discovered that when one is in a state of love, the coherence is enhanced and the biofields become stronger. 
Remember how we said earlier that your emotions act as the magnet which attracts your thoughts and beliefs towards you? Well, when you are in a state of love, you are using the strongest magnetic tool you have to attract the reality you have just visualized. In the fifth dimension, there is only one state, love. You must create out of love, otherwise the waves being sent out are incoherent and not unified. For instance, when visualizing a new home while in the fifth dimension, you visualize that you already have this new ideal home and are experiencing it in the now. At the same time, you feel love in the form of gratitude for having this home. Step 4. Release A series of experiments at the University of Edinburgh in the 1970s and 1980s used random number generators to explore mind-matter interactions. Participants were asked what kinds of mental strategies they used and which ones produced the best outcomes. The most successful participants reported that a key factor was the paradoxical concept of effortless striving. This means you must absolutely want the desired outcome more than anything you've ever desired, but at exactly the same time, you must also maintain zero anxiety about it. Therefore, once you have used the above first three steps, you must completely let go of the outcome and not think about it anymore. The reason being is that if you think about it after, you'll start doubting it and questioning whether it will actually work, which sends signals of fear, which contradict the signals of love you have already sent out. So simply release control of the outcome and trust that it will occur. I know this seems like a lot of information to keep in mind while meditating, so I've created two different guided meditations to help you create or change your reality. I'll put a link to them at the end of this video. Whether you know it or not, we actually already use these techniques in our daily lives without realizing it. However, we use them to attract what we fear. Fear is also a strong electromagnetic force originating in the heart. When you feel a deep fear, where in the body do you feel it? Your heart area, right? Well, what we do is we, we visualize worst case scenarios and play them out in our head as if they are happening now. We then become fearful of these scenarios which attracts those scenarios towards us. This makes it more likely that worst case scenarios will happen. And when they do, your ego, your ego usually tells you, see, I told you this would happen, life is cruel. But if you meditated and connected with your true self, you realize that you created it with your beliefs. In this course, I'm only divulging information that I've experienced as truth and tested out for myself. I want to tell you about the first time I tested it all out. As I was starting my spiritual awakening, I had about £5,000 in savings. My friend encouraged me to invest it in a fund that claimed that they had never made a month of losses and I've been getting 4% returns per month for his investors. I thought, wow, this is an incredible opportunity. And so I invested my savings. I made a month of decent gains, so my girlfriend and I decided to book return flights for a three-month travelling holiday around the world, as I felt like I was on track to get a lot of money by the time we left. After all, what could go wrong in four months? However, the fund suddenly lost all my money within a week, so it turned out to be a really dodgy scam, basically. I'd lost, I'd lost all my savings, and worse yet, we only had four months until we were going travelling. To add to this, I wasn't get, getting much income at all from my business at the time. What was I supposed to do? However, as I had already learnt how I create my own reality, I thought that this was a, 
as good an opportunity as any to really test it all out. I didn't get a second job or anything and I didn't work any harder. The only difference I made was visualizing myself on the three month holiday doing all the activities that I wanted to do. I didn't want to simply get just enough money to survive out there. We wanted to really splash out and experience a lot. I kept visualizing it every day as if I was already there experiencing those things in the present. What happened next was unbelievable. In those four months before traveling, I was getting more new clients for my business than ever and opportunities to make extra income from minimal effort started coming my way. I eventually made enough money to have the dream holiday we were hoping for, with some money left over at the end to help with finding a new home. From then on, I have been using these techniques to change my life for the better. However, although this all sounds great, there are a few reasons why what you visualize may not actually manifest in your life. First reason is that reality is a collection of everyone's thoughts and intentions. You may intend for something to happen, but many others may intend for a different outcome. As we have learned, the universe is interconnected. For instance, if you are trying to visualize winning the lottery, there are likely going to be many others visualizing it as well, which greatly reduces your chances. Reason number two, it isn't easy to be in a state of meditation and use the affirmation techniques to create your reality. However, like anything, the more you practice, the better you will be at it. Reason number three is, you might consciously strongly desire something, but unconsciously you may not. This conflict neutralizes or even reverses your intention. For example, you may consciously want more money, yet unconsciously you don't think you deserve it or don't feel you are worthy of more money. Your subconscious doesn't agree with your conscious intention. It is only through meditation, psychotherapy, or certain healing techniques that you will be able to unveil what's going on in the depths of your unconscious mind. Reason number four. It is not part of your life path or is in direct contradiction with it. We will talk more about your life path and purpose at a later topic, but basically, we all have a direction in life that is predetermined before we incarnate. Sometimes you may think you want something, but it does not fit in with the agreed life plan, so it will not occur. For instance, it may be part of your life plan at this stage to move to a different city or country to meet certain people, but you are trying to visualize buying a new home in your current city. In this case, you will unlikely be able to get a new home in your current city. It is your true self or your higher self that makes sure you are going in the direction of your chosen life path. You might think, well, how do I know if what I want is part of my life path? Well, again, we'll discuss this in, a, in depth at a later topic, but for now, we'll discuss how you can distinguish the roots of each of your desires. You always attract what you need when you realize who you truly are, and when you realize which desires are based on illusions that the ego wants. The ego's desires can only give you short-term happiness until it wants something else. Thoughts and beliefs shape desire. If you believe you need a new car to be happy, you will desire a new car. However, we don't realize that many of our beliefs are hiding in our subconscious. When you feel a desire, you must first meditate on where that desire is coming from, what beliefs are behind them. So much of our time and energy in life is wasted following the ego's desires which don't fulfill us. We must recognize the deeper desires coming from our true selves, which is usually experienced as a spontaneous feeling or a gentle inner nudge. 
These are what will truly fulfill you. When you get these desires, you will usually be able to notice an inner feeling of love behind them. One of the main deeper desires is the desire for unity and love. Love is the attractive force in the universe. When you align with it and express it, the universe will give you all you need. Jesus once quoted as saying, Seek you first the kingdom of heaven, and all else will be added unto you. He was also quoted as saying, The kingdom of heaven is within you now. Putting this together, he was telling us that once you seek within and realize who you truly are, everything you need will be given to you. Yes, it's harder to be truly happy when your basic needs aren't being met, but it's not impossible. We've all seen others who are much less fortunate than ourselves, but seem to be very happy. You always have everything you need, but you won't know that if you're involved with the egoic thought stream, because its thoughts will tell you that you do not have what you need. It's a trap. A trick I've used to tell if a desire is from the ego is to evaluate the source of what you believe will make you happy. If it is the belief that something or someone outside of you will make you truly happy, such as a new car, then it is from the ego. If it is the belief that it is something inside of you that will make you happy, such as the inner feeling of love, then it comes from your true self. Also, if the desire comes from a sense of lack, then it is from your ego. If the desire comes from a sense of already having it, but just needing to realize that you have it, then it is from your true self. As you spiritually awaken, you will be able to tell which desires come from the ego and which come from the true self. You will then no longer crave the illusions of the material world. You will only concern yourself with real desires such as love. And you'll find that when you only pursue your real desires, you will feel, you will feel fulfillment like you have never felt before. Thank you for watching, guys. If you have any questions or comments, then feel free to express them through the comments section below. If you'd like to find out about the free healing sessions and free spiritual support sessions that I do, or if you would like to donate love or money to my channel, then please visit my website on www.highvibeliving.co.uk. Peace, love and joy to you all.